you may remember back in the day when uh, phones were a little bit different than they are today. Uh, you may remember that uh, it wasn't so easy to take a call back then as it is today. You know, back in those days, back when I was a kid, uh, I, uh, I remember that phones had cords and um, they don't always have cords anymore today. And I remember that you, would, uh, you could be out and around running errands or at work or outside or whatever. And if you missed a call, man, you just missed a call. You know, you didn't necessarily have voicemail. You didn't have any kind well, if you did, it was one of those tape player things. It was about, you know, 15 pounds. But even before then, if you missed a call, there, that may have been a lost opportunity. You didn't know who it was. You couldn't go and check and you know, see your missed calls. And, you know, you couldn't do, you know, it, it, you didn't have necessarily a way to, to track who it was that contacted you. I mean, you just missed it. And today, things are so different, you know, because it's hard to miss a call today. I mean, if, if, even if someone doesn't leave a voicemail, I know how some of you work. You still call them back, right? I got a phone call from this number, and I'm trying to see who it was that called me. Some of you do that, right? And uh, it's hard to miss a call today. It wasn't always that way. Well, uh, let, let me just say that, that even though we use that term often uh, about calling, and, you know, I feel called to this, and I feel called to that, it still is possible to miss a call. You may feel called to a lot of different things in your life. You know, even when you look at things from a perspective maybe where God is not included. For some of you, you may be kind of, that's the way you operate. You still feel called to certain things. You may feel called to your work. You may feel called to a career. You may feel called to help a certain segment of people, or you may feel called to help animals, or you may feel called to a certain house that you live in. You felt called to a certain part of the country, and so you moved here. You felt you know, called to, to, to this, you felt called to that. We use that terminology a lot, don't we? But, but really, what we need to understand is that God also has calls that he places on our lives. That God calls us to certain things. God calls us to certain places. God calls us in a variety of ways. And what I want us to do this morning is to begin a brand new series entitled The Call. And what we're going to look at is this whole concept of how God calls us, of what types of calls he places on our lives. We're not going to look at it necessarily comprehensively across the scope of the whole entire Bible. We're going to look at it based on a small passage of Scripture in Exodus chapter 3. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there with me. We won't start into that passage yet. Go ahead and get your spot. Exodus chapter 3. And we're to begin a series this morning. We'll span probably, I'm guessing, around six weeks or so. We'll look at this whole concept entitled The Call. And we're going to be looking specifically at God's call as it was fleshed out, as it was made in the life of Moses, that Old Testament figure Moses. Here's what we're going to see over the course of these few weeks ahead. That God places a number of different calls in Moses' life. God calls Moses out of one place. He calls Moses into another place. He will call Moses and the people of Israel at times to put down certain things. He'll call them to take up certain things. He does the same thing in our lives today still. God calls you at times out of one place and into another. God at times will call you to put down certain things, and he'll call you to take up other things. God has a call for every one of us. He has numerous calls that he seeks to work out in our lives. And rather than us missing those calls, rather than us being so distracted that, we, that somehow the call gets lost in all the noise of our life, what God wants is that we hear, we recognize, and we answer his call when he comes knocking. And what we're going to see here in Moses' life is that Moses was an interesting figure and yet, though there were, were many calls that God placed in his life, there was one call that was the absolute most important. And just as God operated in Moses' life, I'll say the same thing for us, that as God calls you in a variety of different ways in your life, there is one call that God places on your life that is above and beyond every other call. 
In fact, overarching, superseding every call that God places in your life, a call to, to work, a call to a certain place, a call to a certain person, a call that, that may have all kinds of different intricacies involved. Long before God calls us to any of those things, there is one other call that is so incredibly important that every other call rises and falls on how we answer that one all-important call. And we're going to see that demonstrated today specifically in the life of Moses, and we're going to see it woven through this entire series entitled The Call as we begin to work through it. So let me just give you a little bit of an update on who Moses is. I mean, if we're going to spend the next few weeks or so looking at Moses' life, it's helpful to have a little bit of a, uh, you know, of a refresher, I guess, on who Moses is. Moses was an interesting figure in Scripture. Moses is a uh, very misunderstood figure in Scripture. Moses lived a life that was very dramatic, not only from the day he was born to the day he died at the age of 120. Moses lived an incredibly dramatic life. There are amazing lessons that come out of the life that Moses lived. However, as incredible and as dramatic as Moses' story is, what we read of in Exodus 3 is not as much a story about Moses nearly as much as it is a story about God. And so all the details of Moses' life that you've heard in a sense, are going to begin in this passage of Scripture in Exodus chapter 3. So before we get there, you know, I thought, you know, there, there may be another creative way to just sort of, you know, encapsulate the details of Moses' life, to just kind of capture the overarching, you know, principles of Moses' life, to, to capture those details in a little video. And so I came across a video, it's about a minute and a half long or so. For some of you, this is just going to go like way over your head. Uh, For others, this is going to really hit the sweet spot. And so Moses' life in about a minute and a half. Let's go ahead and roll the video and you'll get caught up to speed. Now this is a story all about how I got put in a river but did not drown. And I'd like to take a minute and explain my trip. I'll tell you how I became the prince of a place called Egypt. your refresher course, okay? So I'm just, I'm just curious, how many of you, that made no sense whatsoever, except for the Bible story? Let me just uh, see your hand. Okay, there were a few, some of the younger crowd and uh, some on the other end of the spectrum. How many of you just said, wow, that brings back some memories right there, all right? Okay, good. <laughs> all right, so there's a the refresher course. Moses was an interesting person. The Bible tells us a lot about his life. In fact, the first five books of the Old Testament, God wrote those five books through Moses. They're called the Pentateuch. Moses was the author of those. But when we look at Moses' life, here's what we find. Moses was raised in dramatic fashion. He was born at a time in Israel's history when things were, uh, let's just say, very, very tense. 
The people of Israel were living in the land of Egypt at the time. They had grown to epic proportions. They were, many would say, about two million strong. But they were living in Egypt not as honored guests. They were living in Egypt really as hired uh, or as slaves against their own will. Uh, the, the king of Pharaoh, uh, or the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, had begun to oppress the people of Israel. Because they had grown in such large numbers, Pharaoh, being no dummy, looked around and said, you know what, if these people, two million strong, begin to rise up, they can easily overtake us and we will lose all of our free labor. And so, let's just begin to show them who's boss. And so, Pharaoh and the people of Egypt began to really put their thumb down hard on the people of Israel. And so, you've got these two million Israelites living in the land of Egypt, and they're living there being heavily oppressed. Well, in the midst of that whole scenario, Pharaoh would also pass a decree, so to speak. He would make the decision that any male Israelite children that would be born were to be put to death. Again, that would help to curb the population growth. And so Moses was born in the midst of that culture. That's what Moses was born into. And so Moses, with his Hebrew, Jewish, Israelite mother and father, for the first three months of his life after he was born, he was hidden. He was hidden uh, uh, from the, from the uh, uh, basically from the, from the gaze of Pharaoh and from the people of Egypt. And then after three months had passed, the Bible says he couldn't be hidden any longer. And so Moses' family, his mother, made a wicker basket, placed Moses at the age of three months old down into that wicker basket, and she placed him at the edge of the Nile River, trusting God for the result. As God would have it, ultimately, it would be Pharaoh's own daughter who would come down to the edge of that river. And she would come, and as she would come down to the edge of that river, she would find there the basket and Moses there, three months old, placed inside that basket. And it would be Pharaoh's daughter who ultimately would begin to oversee Moses' life from that point forward. A lot of other details there. Moses' mom would come back into the picture. We won't go there for the sake of time today. But basically, God would provide. Moses would be raised in royalty. He, as a Hebrew, as a Jew as an Israelite, would be raised in the palace of Pharaoh himself, more than likely. In fact, Acts chapter 7 tells us that Moses was, uh, he was, uh, he was educated in the ways of the Egyptians. He ultimately, as well, was uh, a man who was powerful in word and in deed. So when you look at Moses' life, man, what drama. <laughs> I mean, what, what dramatic fashion that, that, that was there when he came into this world. And he was raised according to the ways of the Egyptians. He was a man who had everything laid out for him. Possibly he would have been in leadership over the land of Egypt. He would have ultimately been raised in high places. He would have known people in high places. He knew the land. He knew the people. He knew the culture. He was well-educated. He was powerful. And yet there was a place in his life where he made a decision that would change everything. You saw it beautifully portrayed in the video there where he would be out one day in the, uh, basically out, out in, the, uh, in the fields or, or uh, uh, just out and about. And he would see one of the Egyptians beating one of the Israelites. Now, the Israelites were his people. I mean, th- those were, th- that was his countrymen, right? And so Moses, looking one way and the other, the Bible says, would ultimately take matters into his own hands. He takes the Egyptian, doesn't tell us how, but he basically beat him down and killed him, hid him in the sand, not a good idea, and then he ultimately thought everything would be fine. Well, let's just pick up in Acts chapter 7. You don't have to turn there, but just kind of look at it on the video. Acts chapter 7, uh, Acts helps us to understand, believe it or not, right out of the New Testament. It looks back and helps us to understand a little bit about that event. It says, but when he, Moses, was approaching the age of 40, it entered his mind to visit his brethren, the sons of Israel. So when he saw one of them being treated unjustly, he defended him and he took vengeance for the oppressed by striking down the Egyptian. 
And he supposed that his brethren understood that God was granting them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. Well, on the following day, he appeared to them as they were fighting together. In other words, Moses shows up again 24 hours later. Now he's got two of his own people fighting. They're arguing, they're going at it. And so he appears as they're fighting together, and he tried to reconcile them in peace, saying, men, you were brethren. <laughs> you know, your brothers here, your family. Why do you injure one another? But the one who was injuring his neighbor pushed him away, saying, and here's the tense music, right, the dramatic music. It says, who made you a ruler and judge over us? You do not mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday, do you? And at that point, you know, the curtain was pulled back. Moses realized, hey, everybody knows what I did. Verse 29, at this remark, Moses fled, and he became an alien in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. And so this would be a turning point in Moses' life. This would be a place where Moses would look back, and he would remember this particular event in his life. He would kill the Egyptian, he would hide him, it would become known within 24 hours, and as soon as the news broke, Moses is hightailing it out of town, and his life would change from that day on forever. Everything would change for Moses from that day forward. And yet here's what we see, that as Moses is in that situation where he has blown it, and now he's fled, it would be in that circumstance that God would come calling And so let's pick up in Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read down through verse 6. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 through verse 6. Let's bring Exodus chapter 3 up. Thank you. So beginning in verse 1, it says, Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. And so Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush. And he said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, God said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. And he said also, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. So what is Moses doing then? If he was raised in royalty, if he was a man who had been educated in all the ways of the Egyptians, if he was one the Bible itself would describe as being powerful in word and in deed, what is Moses doing having been one with such a dramatic story, right? Today, he would fill arenas across the world telling this particular story. What is Moses now doing on the far side of the wilderness in the middle of nowhere? Not only on the far side of the wilderness in the middle of nowhere, but what is he doing tending sheep for his father-in-law when his life held so much potential? I'll tell you why he was there. It was because of a principle that applied in his life and a principle that applies in our life still today that sin always separates. Sin always separates. Moses had at his fingertips, he had luxury, he had comfort, he had power, he had prestige, he had a voice, more than likely, living in royalty, raised under Pharaoh's own household. 
He was one who could have just spoken the word and it would have been done, whatever he desired. And yet the day when Moses decided to take matters into his own hands and to try to resolve a conflict in his own power, with his own intellect, from his own perspective, the day he sinned, everything changed because sin always separates. It always separates separates. You remember the story of Lance Armstrong, right? He was the greatest cyclist the world had ever seen, winning not only awards and titles here uh, 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 nationally, but also internationally as well. I don't even remember how many Tour de France titles he won. He was the man in the world of international competitive cycling. And yet when the news broke and it was finally confirmed that he was who he was because of performance-enhancing drugs, It was at that moment that he lost everything. He was stripped of his titles. He lost his vocation, his career. He lost his integrity. He lost his reputation. He lost every ounce of respect. He lost umpteen millions of dollars in in finances that he could have had uh, as a spokesperson and all the things he could have aligned with. He lost virtually everything. Why? Because sin always separates. And here's what I would uh, imagine this morning in a room this size, in a group this size, that there are probably some here who you are understanding and you are living out and you're experiencing right now that truth that sin always separates because you are at a place in your life maybe even right now this moment where you are faced with a choice and that choice involves either the right way or the wrong way a way that that ultimately will honor God or a way that you think is going to be better and you may be feeling right now very possibly the effects of that simple principle that sin always separates and because of some of the choices you've made You may have hit rock bottom. You may be at rock bottom here today. The whole reason you came today was because you woke up this morning and said, something's got to change. Maybe I can just start going to church. And you've shown up today and you're hoping something will happen that that will get you out of rock bottom. Why? Because you've realized that sin always separates. It always separates. Things die when we sin. God said said it to Adam at the very beginning. In the day in which you eat of this fruit that I've commanded you not to eat, the day in which you eat of it, you will surely die. Adam died that day. His relationship with God was broken. He would ultimately experience physical death. Why? Because sin always separates. You may say, Brooks, I haven't felt the consequences yet. Man, I have been beating this thing. I know I'm not honoring God. I know I'm doing things that I shouldn't do. I know I'm shading the numbers and I'm making a bunch of money for it. I know I'm, being, I'm, I'm with people that I'm not supposed to be with. I know I'm not honoring my vows to my spouse. I know I'm not doing what I should and I really don't care because it's working out to my benefit. Just be reminded, sin always separates always. And as we see here in this particular passage of scripture, Moses would ultimately go from the palace to the backside of the wilderness where he would be all alone. And yet in the midst of that circumstance, listen, what a picture of grace. God would come calling. Despite what he had done, God by his grace would still come calling. Verse 2 through verse 4. Let's look at those verses again. It says the angel of the Lord. When you see that phrase in the Old Testament, far more likely than not, it's a reference to what theologians would call the pre-incarnate Christ, a Christophany. It's an appearance of Jesus before the New Testament, basically. When you see the phrase, the angel of the Lord, that's what it more than likely is referring to in the Old Testament. This would be God himself showing up to Moses. 
It says, the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, Moses looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. What did Moses say? Everything that we would have said if we were there. Hey, I got to go check this out. I got to go see why this bush is not burned up. Uh, look, look to the next slide for a second. I know we've already gone through this, but let's just focus on something specific. It says, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him. And th- this, to me, is an amazing thing. Because here, here's, here's what's happening. That this man, Moses, this, uh, let's just say he was royalty. He was royalty. He, 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 was, he was Israelite. He was Jew turned Egyptian turned murderer, turned exile, turned nobody, (laughs) has an audience with the God who made him on the backside of this desert. And it's interesting to me that before God would call Moses to do all the things we read about in Scripture, before God would call Moses to lead the people of Israel, before he would call Moses to confront Pharaoh, before God would call Moses to do the miraculous in 10 different ways, before God would call Moses to change history, he would call Moses in a very specific way. He would call Moses to himself. Look at what it says in verse 5 and verse 6 again. He said, do not come near here, God says to Moses. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said also, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. What was Moses' response? Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. You know, whenever we come to God, we have to come to him on his terms, don't we? We can't come to him on our terms, where we have this tendency, many of us do, to kind of run run ahead and just, hey God, come on, come on, follow me. I've got a great idea. Come on, come on God, come on. You know, we got all these great ideas, we want God to follow us. In other words, we have this mentality to where we want God to operate in our lives on our terms. But God's not going to operate in our lives on our terms. He will only operate in our lives on His terms. There is is a a, a real danger, and we see it kind of laid out here in this passage of Scripture right there at that point. There is a real danger that is showing itself today in the lives of many, many believers. And the danger is this, that though God welcomes us to Himself, and though He initiates even drawing us to Himself, and though He swings the doors open of grace, and He wants us to know Him, and He is a God who pursues us. And we see that all throughout Scripture, there is also a line that we cannot afford to cross where we begin to treat God as though He's just our buddy and not our God. Does that make sense? There is a line there, and you know this because you may have crossed that line early in your life. Remember when you hit maybe 12, 13, 14, 15, and you thought it was okay to call your mama by something other than mom? You called her by her first name. Did you ever try that one near the dinner table? (laughs) Hey, Sharon, pass me the biscuits. (laughs) Yeah, had that one work out for you. Yeah, there is a line there where though your mom loves you, And though your mom delights in you, and though your mom would move heaven and earth in an instant to come at your beck and call to help you and to pour her life into you, there is a line there you cannot cross because she's not your best buddy, she's your mama. (laughs) And better better, better are you for that when you keep that in mind. And it's much the same with God. God loves us. He is a God of grace. He will pursue us. He will initiate what we need. He, will do, uh, he has done the greatest work in all of history in sending his own son, even taking death on our account, right? When Jesus died, he died in our place as our substitute, as our sacrifice. He even took the bullet for us, so to speak. He died in our place when he did not have to. And yet understanding all of that and his great love and his amazing grace and his wonderful mercy, there is a line 
that we cannot cross, where we begin to take him lightly. There is a line that we cannot cross where we begin to discount his holiness and where we begin to deal with him as though he is just our next door neighbor and not the God who created all of the whole entire universe. And Moses is being reminded of this here. Moses is being reminded when God says, Moses, I love you, and on the backside of this desert I have pursued you, I know what you've done, and I'm ready and willing to forgive you, and I will set you free, and I will do amazingly great things through your life. But you cannot come up here the way you are. You need to take your shoes off your feet because the ground on which you walk, simply because I'm here, is holy. And don't dare forget that, God seems to say. Sin always separates. You may feel the weight of that. You may have been reminded today of what it was like to be separated. God in his grace comes calling. The second principle that we see is that before God ever calls us to a work, he will always first call us to a relationship with himself. Long before he ever calls you to change the world, to rescue the hurting, to reach out to the lost and the broken, Long before he calls you to something specific that he wants you to do, he will first call you to a relationship with himself that will change who you are. And it always starts with that. Do you see him back there, Moses? Tending sheep, thinking, you know what, I could have been a I could have been a prince. Could have been a king. I could have ruled the land. And here I am with this flock of sheep working for my wife's daddy. You see him there? You see the regret of his life of what he had lost because sin always separates. And do you see a God who saw him there long before he ever arrived that pursued him with grace, who had a call in his life, and yet the first call would be, Moses, I want you to know me. Moses and God would have a conversation In the midst of that conversation, God would share some details about what he wanted to do in Moses' life in the days to come. Moses, like most of us, would say, well, God, you know, if you're going to lead me, use me to lead these people, then, um, you know, I'm going to be standing in front of these people, and uh, they're going to think I'm nuts when I tell them that I had a conversation with a burning bush and that God talked to me out of the bush, and he told me that he wants me to help set these people free. I don't see this going well, God, so what do you want me to say? Look at what it says here, a little bit further in Exodus chapter 3, verse 13 through 15. It says, Moses said to God, Behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel. This is Moses speaking to God. And I'm going to say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Okay, Moses is playing all this out in his mind. I'm going to go to them. This is what I want to say. The God of your fathers, people of Israel, has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What's his name? What shall I say to them? Look at what God says. God said to Moses, I am who I am. Moses at this point is probably thinking, all right, not a lot of help. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, the Lord. Now this would have made sense. Because in the Hebrew language, that word Lord, you see it in all caps in your Bible, That word Lord is in all caps for a reason because it denotes a specific Hebrew name for God and that Hebrew name is Yahweh. 
Anytime you see that word, the Lord, in the Old Testament, in all caps, it is referring to that specific name of God, the name Yahweh. And it is the most personal name for God that we see in the entire Old Testament. God says to Moses, you shall say to the sons of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever And this is my memorial name to all generations. And so you have this picture here of Moses on the very verge of greatness because he will be known for centuries. You're reading about him today. There will be movies made about his life, Disney movies, regular movies, old movies, new movies. There will be all kinds of talk about this man Moses, but it did not start when he would lead the people of Israel across the Red Sea on dry ground. It started when God called him first in a relationship to himself. God said to Moses, you are to know me personally. And here's my business card, my most personal name I can give you for you to know me by. And he still works the same today. Still works the same. You know, this room may have some Christians, followers of Christ, and you are still stressing over what God's call is in your life. Is God calling me to be married? Is God calling me to be single? Is God calling me to that city? Is he calling me to stay here? Is God calling me to a new job? Is he calling me to another position? Is he calling me here? Is he calling me there? And you're all stressed about where God is calling you. Can I just say some of those details God will show you in due time, some of those he won't, but the one thing he's calling you to that overarches and supersedes every other call in your life, the one call that he calls you to that everything else will rise and fall on is the call to know him deeply in relationship. Everything else is built on that. Everything. And yet some of you say, well, Brooks, you know what? I, I, uh, you know, I line up more with the whole sin always separates than I do the whole God calling me to a relationship. Because God is like way out there for me. <laughs> and sin is kind of right here taking over. I just want to remind you of a, of a passage of Scripture in the New Testament. Jesus, who by the way, one way he would state his claim to be God would be by that same phrase, I am. Interesting how Jesus would do that. The Gospel of John, it's all throughout that, that particular book. But we'll read of a parable that Jesus would tell, and you probably know it pretty well. It's the parable, parable of the prodigal son. And in the, the parable of the prodigal son, Jesus is telling a story, and involved in that story is a, is a fella. He, he, he had a rightful claim to an inheritance from his father, and he asked his dad for it, which was really ludicrous in that day. You just didn't kind of go and ask your dad ahead of time, hey, can I have my inheritance? It'd be much like today. You know, you just don't do that. Well, the father gave it to him. And the story goes that that son took everything he had, and he went out to the far country, and he blew it, just blew it on all kind of crazy stuff that he would one day regret and be shamed over. He just blew it on wild living, and he, and he came to his, to his knees, really. And he was, he, he was hungry, and he was destitute, and he was broke, and he had nothing. And he just wanted to be back with his dad. And and Jesus, as he tells this parable, we kind of pick up midstream in Luke chapter 7. Of course, it's really easy for you to recognize. Let me bring the passage up. It's really easy for you to recognize the son there that has nothing is us, and the father that waits on him, pursues him actually, is God. The son says, I'll get up and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy even to be called your own son. Make me as one of your hired men. And so he got up, and he came to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. 
and he felt compassion for him, and he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, you see, he had rehearsed this speech, and now he starts to lay it out. Father, I've sinned against heaven, and in your sight, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, see, he cut him off. He didn't even get to finish his speech. He said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf, kill it, let us eat and celebrate. Why? For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Before God calls you to a work, he calls you first to a relationship. And if you don't have a Savior this morning, if you don't have a relationship with God that's personal, that's vibrant, that's growing, if you don't have the peace of mind of knowing that your sin is forgiven, if all you have is the reality that sin always separates, and for you, if that separation has been your joy and your hope and your peace and your well-being on top of all the other physical stuff, if all you know is that sin always separates, hey, listen, there's a Father waiting for you to come to Him. He has initiated the relationship. He's already paid the cost for it to be established and to be kept in place for all of eternity. He's done all the hard work and the heavy lifting. And all he waits for, listen to me, is for you to realize that the sin separates and I'm sick of it. I'm going to lay it aside and I'm going to come run into the Father. And the way you get there is through turning from that sin and giving your whole entire life to Christ. Praying that Jesus would take his, call, his payment and apply it to your life. Paying for your sin and that he'd be first for you from that day on. Before God calls you anywhere, he calls you to that. Christian, you may already be in a relationship with God, and yet you know you know that you are at a place in your life where you've blown it, and you feel the weight, and you feel the brokenness, and you feel the hurt, and you are at the same place where that prodigal son was. You know what? I just, I'm ready to go home. Praise God that he is a God who pursues us and who waits for us, and he embraces us when we come on his terms laying down our sin, and yielding ourselves to him. Hey, I don't know what God's calling you to today. I don't know where he's calling you. I don't know what the details are. But the one detail I do know is that before anything else, just like with Moses, he calls you to himself. It's a call that stands ready to be answered. Nobody can answer it for you, only you. No guarantee how long he'll call. So my encouragement today is to see him for who he is, a God who pursues you. Answer the call. Follow him. Follow Jesus from this day on. Let's pray. Lord, what an amazing picture we see in Moses' life. And yet God wrapped up all throughout that, that snapshot just out of Exodus 3. We see it's not really much a story about Moses as it is a story about you. And Lord, you still work the same way. You still pursue us. You know right where we are. No matter what we've done, no matter how far we run, Lord, you're there. We have to one day face what we've done. We have to face our sin. We have to own it. And we have to be responsible for it. But God, we thank you that long before we stand before you as our judge, we have the opportunity to have that sin forgiven through a relationship with Christ. And Lord, I believe that perhaps even today, there are some that you're already right now working on their hearts, And you're showing them that no matter how far they've run because of their sin, that you're right here. You've met them right here today on this corner, in this church, in this building. You've met them. And Lord, you're calling them to yourself. And I pray today, Lord, that they would answer that call. That they, as Moses, would say, here I am. That they would lay down their sin and invite Jesus himself to step out and to step into their life. To forgive them and to take over. 
God, I pray for we as believers that have made that choice, that you would remind us daily that, that your first call to us is to a deep relationship with you. We are wasting our time. We are spinning our wheels. Lord, if we think we can run ahead of you and do things in our own strength, we must be people who are immersed in deep relationship with you. And so, Lord, take us deep with you, we pray. Bless the decisions we make now. Lord, may they be honoring to you as you call and as you lead. May we follow you this morning. For it's in Jesus' name we ask. Amen.